Welcome to Fireside Chat, a short interlude with weekly features, where I, Yehul Joplukas, will be showcasing and interviewing prominent D&D creators. This week, we are talking to Dragna Carter, the author of Crystal Reloaded, and the Dungeon Master of Twice Bitten, about proactive DMing and how that may apply to running Crystal what is proactive DMing and why is it helpful? So Matt Colville recently published a video about railroading and player agency, in which he pointed out that railroading is problematic because it restrains player agency, that is, the ability of your players to solve problems and engage with the world in their own way. Something that a lot of DMs fail to realize is that we, like players, have our own sense of agency, that is, our ability to present problems and engage with the players in a dynamic way. Proactive DMing is a strategy that recognizes this approach and aims to maximize its benefits. Now, I know that kind of sounds a little bit weird, just because, you know, as DMs, the idea is obvious. We are the master of the world, we can present challenges, present problems, we have all of the agency, right? But I would say that most D&D modules and homebrew campaigns, at least in my experience, focus on a model of DMing that I would call fundamentally reactive, or passive. The DM creates content that the PCs might enjoy, like a murder mystery or a dungeon full of kobolds, creates a hook to get the PCs interested and invested, and then basically runs the whole thing on autopilot. I want to be clear, this is not a bad way to approach the game. It's fundamentally structurally sound, and it can be a hugely rewarding approach, especially if you're a new DM who might struggle with more dynamic content, or if you might be more comfortable with static dungeons or situations. Everyone loves a good dungeon crawl once in a while, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, if you're a reactive DM, you might watch the PCs take a long rest in a dungeon, or steal a dragon's horde, or annoy the queen by spray-painting her throne, and ask, okay, so how will the world react to this? Proactive DMing looks at that situation and tries to take it one step further. Here, a proactive DM does that sort of reaction naturally where appropriate, but also recognizes that the entities within the world that is, NPCs, factions, and other institutions, have their own agency as well and works to allow those entities to have an active impact on the narrative that the players have to react to. In other words, if your players can spray paint the royal castle, why isn't someone spray painting the PC's tiny hut, you know? There's a great moment in Season 2 of Critical Role that really speaks to this kind of strategy. There's one episode, and apologies for minor spoilers, where the party is traveling in the frozen north alongside an unexpected group of traveling companions. They know where they're headed, they have a vague idea of what they want to do when they get there, and they're actively scheming and trying to make some kind of plan. Then, just when they're getting ready for the big day of arrival, their NPC companions do something totally unexpected that forces the PCs to throw their plans in the garbage and just radically changes the direction of that campaign arc. One of the most powerful things a DM can do to make their players feel immersed in the setting is to show that the world continues to move even when the PCs aren't looking at it. Maybe they turned down a quest hook and a dragon burned down their village. Maybe their mentor got married or robbed or assassinated while they were away. Maybe there's an entire war going on at the edges of the Empire, just leagues away, that is constantly evolving and that the PCs have absolutely nothing to do with. Now, proactive DMing is the act of taking that mindset and applying it to the current narrative arc. Now, the world is still dynamically evolving and acting around the PCs, but now it's doing so in a place where the PCs can see it. That has a lot of huge and potentially positive ramifications for things like pacing, urgency, and player direction. If your players feel complacent and confident in their ability to handle a situation, adding in a dynamic, proactive element is a great way to push them forward and give them a real sense of urgency while raising the stakes and removing that sense of predictability. After all, 
While predictable stories can be enjoyable, there's not really anything I've found like the heart-pumping adrenaline that comes out when nobody's really sure where the dice are going to fall. I do want to make three things clear, though. First, proactive DMing is not just pre-planning developments that might occur if your PCs do certain specific triggers, like Gandalf falling into Moria when confronted by the Balrog. It's also not railroading, where you plan big reveals and then force them to happen, say because you want to funnel your PCs toward a big explosive moment where you reveal that one of their friends was a traitor all along. Instead, proactive DMing is a mindset that holds that the conditions on the ground should never be fixed, that NPCs and other entities have their own agency and goals and should be free to pursue them, that circumstances can and should change, and that a dynamic, evolving situation can be far more exciting and interesting than a static one. How, where, and when might you use this approach? What does it look like in practice? So, whenever I'm starting my preparations for a session, I ask myself a few quick questions. Are my players lost? Are they unmotivated? Are they moving too slowly, or are they complacent? Are they feeling too cocky? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then my next question is, what can I change about the world to remove that sense of comfort, point them in a stronger direction, and put a proper fire beneath their rear ends? There's this approach to analyzing literature and other media that I think might be helpful here. First, there's something called a Watsonian perspective, named for Dr. John Watson of the Sherlock Holmes stories. Then there's a Doyleist perspective, named for Arthur Conan Doyle, the author of those stories. Basically, when you're looking at a story through a Watsonian perspective, what you're asking is, why did the characters, as if they were real people, choose to do what they did? So if Dr. John Watson goes to Sherlock and says, hey, I think we should investigate this kind of clue or we should talk to this witness, that's because Dr. Watson himself believes that's a good thing to do and he's just acting things out in a way that makes sense for him. A Doyleist perspective, by contrast, asks why the author chose to have those characters do what they did. Through this lens, we kind of say, you know, Dr. Watson is not a real person. He's a fictional construct created to tell an engaging story and achieve certain goals. So, through a Doyleist perspective, we ask, so why did Arthur Conan Doyle choose to have Dr. Watson do the things that he did? The session preparations I've been describing are examples of a Doyleist framework, where we're talking about maybe the DM has a metatextual goal that they want to accomplish, such as motivating their players or hiking up the excitement and intrigue, and so they choose to have dynamic events to take place for those reasons. But you should also, when you're kind of talking about proactive DMing, consider the Watsonian approach. Sometimes, you can and should have NPCs or the world do dynamic things solely because there's an in-universe reason for them to do so, if for no other reason than to promote verisimilitude and to show yourself and your players that wheels keep turning, even when the players are achieving their own agendas. If the PCs are traveling with a thief, it stands to reason that the thief might want to rob them. If the PCs are rivals with another adventuring party, it makes sense that this other party might try to sabotage or compete with them. Maybe the PCs have made enemies of a powerful duke, in this case, it's not surprising that the Duke sends out his guards to harass or arrest them while the PCs are in the middle of doing something else entirely. There's also another reason to lean on preactive DMing as an approach, especially when you're running a module. Lots of published campaigns have special events, certain developments that happen at some point that just occur based on certain triggered conditions. Sometimes the text might suggest that this event happens off-screen. St. Andrew's Feast in Velaki in Curse of Strahd is one great example. But then again, if your places are doing something relevant in a relevant location, then maybe it makes perfect sense to have this event take place on screen, either as a hazard that complicates the PC's efforts or as a segue into additional hooks or information. What you're doing here then is just you're providing more content and you're changing the scene. You're changing the ground beneath the PC's feet and you're making them confront things in a new way that they hadn't been prepared for or expected to do. 
And in practice, this style of DMing might look like a big game of chess between the PCs and the DM. You know, usually in kind of dungeon crawl style DMing, the DM sets out all the pieces on their side of the board and then just doesn't move them while the PCs play out their side of the board and knock the DM's pieces over. Proactive DMing asks, okay, but what happens if the DM is also actively moving pieces every turn? What happens if the DM brings in new pieces that the DM knew were there but that the players didn't expect? These kinds of choices can present a really fascinating opportunity to create engaging and memorable narrative beats that can surprise and delight your players. What does proactive DMing look like in a Curse of Strahd campaign? Are there any specific advantages to this approach in Curse of Strahd as opposed to another module? So, most modules are, like I mentioned before, kind of inherently reactive. There's a dungeon, the PCs go inside the dungeon, the PCs clear the dungeon, and then they find a hook to the next dungeon. Sometimes different things can happen based on what the PCs do in the dungeon, or which of multiple dungeons they choose to complete. Sometimes the dungeon isn't really a strict dungeon technically, but it's more of a set piece. But ultimately what it comes down to is that the DM is usually forced to react to what the PCs choose to do. Whether you're looking at Lost Mine of Andelver, or looking at Descent into Avernus, this is a very common and very workable structure. But Curse of Strahd is different because it just, by virtue of existing, it gives you an extremely proactive chess piece that most DMs have not really had an opportunity to deal with in the past, Strahd von Zarevich himself. Instead of a structure that's rooted in place like a house of Monopoly or a limited piece that can only move in certain ways like a pawn on a chessboard, Strahd is the queen of his own chessboard. He can move anywhere he likes and do anything he wants, and as the module makes perfectly clear, he actively wants to do things. In the module as written, Strahd has a few broad goals and methods. He wants to find a successor, turn interesting people into consorts, and otherwise corrupt and crush the PC's spirits and bodies as amuses him best. That makes for a lot of potential agency, and in most campaigns he can pursue a lot of these goals at the same time, which means that you have a lot of leeway to make him work for you. In Twice Bitten, for example, all three Strahd encounters the players have had so far, aside from St. Andrew's Feast, which is a bit of a scripted event, all of them were instances that I consciously decided that Strahd had good reason to appear, that his appearance would help drive the story forward, and that his appearance would help further shape the character's narratives while raising the tension and stakes in some way. Let's start with the Black Carriage. Here, the PCs didn't really understand the nature of Barovia as a realm and didn't really appreciate Strahd as a character. However, I reasoned that Strahd wouldn't want to beat the PCs into the ground, he'd probably want to leave open the option of future diplomacy or other means of engagement, but while still impressing his will and dominance upon them. So, I built an encounter that tried to create an antagonistic relationship without forcing them into open hostilities, but which still made sure that the PCs knew that Strahd was this bad dude who could and would do bad things to them. I repeated this in Velaki and Kresk, you know, with the Blue Water Inn, to make sure that they knew that Velaki wasn't safe from Strahd, and Kresk to infuse that sense of urgency and need as they went to meet Madame Ava at Serpool. And in each of these three encounters, the players had no idea that Strahd was waiting for them around the corner. And in each of these three encounters, Strahd's appearance and actions radically changed the tone of the narrative and just upended the player's understanding of what they thought was possible and who or what they thought Strahd was. This is part of what makes Velaki actually such a fascinating centerpiece of the module as well. It's constantly evolving in ways that the players might not expect. When the PCs were infiltrating the Baron's manor to steal the Baroness's wedding dress, I knew that Lady Vokter had been stirring up dissent, and that the townsfolk were already enraged due to St. Andrew's feast. As per the book's timeline of a few days after the feast, I had already predetermined the date and time that the revolution would take place, but, as I prepped for this session, I realized that this date would come a full day after the PCs chose to invade the manor. So, I decided to move the revolution a day backward in time, and shift it from dusk to, oh, you know, maybe the exact moment when Kiva and her companions arrived at the manor to give Erthrandir and Lolison backup. 
Was it a little bit too convenient? Maybe. Did it make for a more engaging, tense, and exciting scene that I felt radically changed the player's expectations for and relationship with Falaki? Absolutely. And that's the kind of mindset that I heavily recommend bringing to the table. If something exciting and challenging can happen on screen, make it happen. You're the DM. You have that power. If there's a dynamic actor somewhere in the world that has a private agenda that might clash with or upend the expectations of your PCs as they try to complete their current quest, plot that shit out. You don't have to, and you know, you probably shouldn't make all of your sessions dynamic to the point of being totally unpredictable, but even just a subtle spice of proactive efforts can make your campaigns that much more engaging, rewarding, and memorable.